welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Before I get on with telling you about this week's guest, I've got something I need to let you know about. I was in Pod Bible magazine again. I've put a link in the notes on this episode, and the link will take you to a digital copy of the magazine. And I'm really made up. I love Pod Bible. I love what they're all about. I love what they do. I love how they support the indie podcasts, and they've been really good to me over the last couple of years since I've been uh, doing Proper Mental. And it was lovely to get featured. It's in a part of the magazine that's called The Good Samaritan, and they use that to shine a light on podcasts that, I suppose, shine a light on important topics. And it was put together by a wonderful man called Jason Reed. It's a great column. Some of the other people that have been featured are massive names, household names. So it was really lovely to kind of get little old me in amongst them. And it's always awesome to be recognised or featured or nominated or whatever for anything podcast related. That's always great. But it always means so much more when it's to do with the fact that it's a mental health podcast. That's what I really get excited about. That's what I really love. I like podcasting. I love podcasting, in fact, but that's just my my medium, you know, that's the mechanism. Mental health is what it's all about. So to be featured in something like The Good Samaritan was really, really cool. Go and check it out, have a read, you can read it online or you can order a copy from their website. Anyway, enough about me, enough of the shameless self-promotion. Episode 92, welcome. My guest is Samantha Renk, who is an actress, a presenter, a disability activist, an inclusion and equality consultant, and a keynote speaker. She also writes for the Metro, and she's written a book. It's called You're the Best Thing Since Sliced Bread, and it's really good, and we talk a lot about it in this episode. And after Sam finished uni, she became a teacher, and then she decided to move to London to pursue a career in media. And now she's a regular on TV and radio. In the last few years, she won a Best Actress Award at the LA Diversity Film Festival. And she's really busy, so it was wonderful that she agreed to come on and have a chat. I think a couple of weeks before, she's just done Fern Cotton's podcast. So to go from there onto mine is just, well, it's a wonderful thing. We chat all about her new book, the process of writing it, and the process of kind of revisiting it later and reading it for the audiobook, which is how I consumed the book. And we talk about why she was determined to be completely open and completely honest about her life. And I always think that's really important to chat about because there's one thing coming on here and having a bit of a chat. But when you put your life and your thoughts and your feelings and your fears and all of that stuff in a book, it's there forever, right? There's something so permanent about it. And it was really interesting to get Sam's take on that. We talk about anxiety. We talk about mental health. We talk about dealing with ableism. So Sam has a physical disability. And obviously she lives in a society that doesn't particularly bend over backwards to look after disabled people. We talk about that. We talk about dealing with ableism in society and we talk about Sam being a disability activist and everything that comes with that. She does a lot of work in that area, a lot of work, but she also has to balance her own mental health and look after herself. And that's a constant juggling act. And that's a really interesting part of the conversation. We also talk about the importance of embracing your bad days and feeling your feelings. Sam has this wonderful way of looking at it. She calls them her violin days. We talk about her cats. She's got two sphinx cats that have kind of helped her through her darkest moments and it's not the first time that animals have come up on this podcast as something that helps people's mental health and that was really lovely to hear a chat about them too. Sam just has energy to spare like as soon as she logged on 
She was making me laugh. We got on so well. It was, yeah, it was so much fun. It was really, really lovely to speak to her. I'd highly recommend the book. I've been listening on the build up to this chat and I really liked it. Sam has a wonderful mindset. She has a great way of looking at stuff and reframing stuff and approaching stuff. And I think we can learn a lot from her. And I mentioned earlier the way that society doesn't do much for people that have physical disabilities. And I think there's a lot of comparisons in that conversation with mental health because we live in a society that doesn't look after people or encourage people to look after their mental health as well. So to get Sam's take on that is really, really cool. If you'd like to know more about her, you can follow her on social media or you can go to samantharankofficial.com. All the links are in the episode notes. As ever, propermentalpodcast.com to get hold of me. If you want to get hold of me, email is usually the best way. You can find me on social media at propermentalpodcast. And if you could take two minutes to subscribe, to leave me a review. I've not had a review for months. It would be awesome to get a new one. If you could help me out with that, it would be much appreciated. Anyway, here we go. This is episode 92 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Samantha Ray. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy! Hello! Hi Amaze. How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Thank God I just logged on then because my my um my cats are being absolute little twats. So I um I was a bit like sorry, you know, you're gonna have to block that bit out later. <laughs> <laughs> oh the cats have been misbehaving, have they, mate? Yeah. You know what? So it's been, as you can imagine, it's just been really, really hectic for the past couple of weeks. And then I had my book launch on Thursday and I had like family like from Lancashire come down. And um, so my mum and stepdad came, stayed, and then they went to Paris for a few days. But now they they came back and because of all the train disruptions. Rise, of course, yeah. Yeah, they had to stay a bit longer with me. But as you can imagine, I'm up for TV early in the morning. And this is not me complaining about that. It's just about, I need my sleep. And then (laughs) so I've been letting the cats sleep with me. So literally, I feel like a new mother that gets woken up every like two hours. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'm a little bit delirious. And the lovely women that are uh, in the building opposite me, who's the cleaners. So we've got this new building. I live right in the city of London, like right in the centre. And they knocked down the building behind our building. They rebuilt it. But the stupid idiots, what they've done is they've put these little like benches facing outwards so people can have their lunch. But right. everyone, they can, they, 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 they literally, if I wave, they'll be able to see me now waving. Oh, mate. So you've got yeah. your own little um, audience. I, uh, I was naked. Literally, I was naked the other day. I, I was quite like being naked in my own home but then the other night I was like I'm in bed I can be naked and then I don't know what it was I needed to pop into the kitchen so I went into the kitchen stalkers turn around and there's a security guy just like glaring at me and I was like it's time to leave London it's time to leave it's it. time to leave London. Yeah. It's like big <laughs> big brother is literally. I know, I know. Like five <laughs> five years ago, I probably would have done him a little dance and be like, come on over. And now I'm like, no. No. <laughs> oh <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> um, do you need anything from me, Sam, before we jump in, or should we just um, kind no, of you know what? I like being <laughs> I like being surprised. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. I might randomly just shout boo halfway through. Yeah, do it. Yeah, do it. No, you know what it is? I don't like being too structured because, and this probably won't do very well at acting. I don't like being told what to say or do. I like just to be quite off the cuff and improvise. So I I tend not to even ask for questions prior. 
Um, I like living on the edge. Oh, mate. Yeah, me too. I think we're going to get on like a house on fire. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely. Do. Just see what see what comes up, right? Uh, see what comes thanks up. for having me, by the way. Oh, mate, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's um, yeah, very kind of you. Yeah, I've uh, been very excited. Hey, good. Um, I'm going to do a little intro and then we'll yeah, just dive, dive Let me straight make in. sure everything's on silent. I will just say my PA has just popped out to do some errands. She'll be back. I've told her to be quiet, but I do have an Amazon delivery. So um, she should be back in the next 10 minutes, but I'm just warning you, if my front doorbell goes, do you mind if I go and... Not not at all. Amazing. Not at all. I always think, like, with a mental health podcast, yeah. I think people... For people to really kind of like feel seen and feel related to the conversations, it can be so useful when things aren't too polished. Yeah, and absolutely. It, you know, mental health is scruffy, and I think I like my podcast to be a bit scruffy. And yeah, doorbells go, cats jump on heads. Cats jump in, yeah. yeah, it's all it's a free for all. <laughs> we'll, we'll have it all. Yeah. Have you had Have you had a chance to read some of the book then? Have you been given? Yeah, the book? yeah. yeah. I've, I've been um, listening to the audiobook this week. Yeah. Oh, so you're sick of my voice by now, aren't you? <laughs> Do you know what? Right, I never. I've, it's only about the fifth audiobook I've ever had. Mm-hmm. I, I've never really got into them before. But I found listening to a guest's book, you get so used to being with them and sharing yeah. the story. By the time it gets to the interview, I already feel like we're best mates. Oh, so it, we can be it... best mates. Oh. I got an opening. I do have an opening. I just think I don't really like many people anymore. So I totally have an opening for a new BFF. Oh, mate. All right. So I'll see this as my interview. And yeah. Then... but yeah it's um yeah it's been really lovely and i've made loads of notes to kind of like chat to you about different bits from it and um yeah it's awesome cool so here we are with another episode of the proper mental podcast and my guest this week is samantha renk how are you mate i'm good how are you we've just been chatting saying that you are now my new bff which i'm delighted about that's it well i thought you were going to tell me at the end of the episode but i've got this job without even having to do the uh that that was easy but um yeah thank you so much for joining me mate i um i really appreciate your time is i was making some notes last night and i kind of it dawned on me that your book has been out a a week today right so Tomorrow, yeah. oh, tomorrow, tomorrow. A week tomorrow, yeah. So I don't even, you know, I don't even know what my name is at the moment. Never mind what day of the week we are on. It's been a whirlwind. But yeah, it's already been a week. Isn't that crazy? It's. Amazing. I wouldn't say it's an anticlimax because that's not fair. But I think when you've been working on a book in theory, I suppose it's over two years. And what I mean by that, I actually wrote the book in about three months. Um, but the actual you know, initial idea, the talks, the, you know, kind of making sure we're all on the same page, the signing of the contract, and then kind of, you know, meeting with your editor and stuff like that, that took a whole two years. I think the pandemic absolutely slowed it down a little bit. Um, mm. But yeah, you I don't know, it's a weird one, because I spent so, so, so many nights, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, worrying, at all the things that, uh, when I've spoken to a lot of authors, they go through the similar uh, thought process but I think when you're battling anxiety um it is just like a magnified by a thousand so I went through all that um it really affected my mental health um and and now it's out and I feel a little bit I want to say numb and I don't mean that in the sense of I'm not proud of what I've achieved or I'm not excited to share my story with the world I just feel like okay all that and now it's there yeah. and, the world, and the world hasn't ended and, you know, people are being nice about it and no one's suing me yet. <laughs> <laughs> Always a bonus. Always yes. a bonus. Yeah. 
<laughs> I suppose it's like one of those things, Sam, that like, because obviously the book's been, it's finished, it, you give it to the publishers. And then mm. it's, once it comes out, it's that whole thing of like, everything's changed, but also nothing's changed, right? Yeah. So like for you, it's out there, but yeah, day to there. day, the, yeah, it's not. I mean, I, I even tell like, so I've been doing, obviously you can imagine quite a lot of, um, quite a lot of interviews and I'm terrible. So I will never rewatch myself on television unless I am really, really drunk. Um, or, or like, or like I randomly go into a room and I'm like, oh, there I am. Um, and, and similarly, I, oh, it sounds quite bad. I didn't reread the book because it was, it was, there was areas of it. I talk about grief. I talk about sexual assault. There was some, you know, there's there's a lot of triggers in there, yeah. and it was triggering for me. And um, and also, I am my own worst critic. So I really sure, like, even when they were sending me stuff back to approve, I was like, yeah, 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 which you don't tell anyone. I mean, I would have said just said it on the podcast, but I wasn't the best person because I I kind of didn't want to allow myself to go back down there. So I even. Have you forgotten what I've written? And there's some people like they, they bring stuff up in, a, in an interview. I'm like, oh, yes. Oh, yes. I totally said that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was the um? because we've mentioned before, I've been listening to the the audio version of it. Yeah. So like, what was it like reading through that, you know, the, the yeah. finished because that was, I always think that's, it's like a really challenging thing to kind of look back at your life and, and put it all down on paper and decide mm -hmm. what to share and what to keep and how it's all going to go. And then that gets sent off. And then there's probably a big gap, like you said, and then you've got to sit and read it. That's got to be like reading an old diary or, you know, yeah. and even if yeah. you're reading about good stuff and bad, that I, even reading about good stuff can be not that great for us sometimes, I think. I wasn't looking forward to it. I have to say, I really struggle um, reading aloud anyway like it's just not one of my strong points I used to be a school teacher and on the odd occasion where I had to like cover um, like an English class or something I um I used to be like right okay Jimmy you you carry on you read pages once and whatever and it, I never used to do it this is why I'm petrified of like auto cue so for a long time I had sleepless nights and I had this reoccurring dream and we can laugh about it now but at the time it was like terrifying I had this dream that I was in the studio and every time I made a mistake or I said a word incorrectly I'd I, they would make me start right from the beginning of the book right yeah and you know you know when you have those anxiety fueled dreams that they when you wake up, you genuinely don't know whether it's reality or whether that was a dream. It, be, it started becoming like that. Um, so, yeah, it and what was quite beautiful, and I think, again, one of the messages in my book is, you know, situations, we, we inherently potentially go to a dark place in a situation, and, and I'll... I'll, I'll you know I'll talk about one example that I give in the book but the same thing happened with the audiobook I automatically thought I'd be useless at it that I you know I would stumble and it would take me you know I was only booked in for three days but I knew it was going to take me five days and that's going to cost everyone more money and you know all these things go through my head and the irony was I sat down and I started reading and because I wrote it myself and it wasn't a ghostwriter, obviously I was familiar with what I'd written and it weirdly started coming back to me. And, you know, obviously I wasn't word perfect and I, I, I didn't have to go back to the beginning of the book. I just literally had to go back to the start of the sentence, so to speak, which was, you know, woof. but I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I've not probably enjoyed something that much in a very very long time and I think again it was you know take my own take my own words of advice 
from the book, you know, we 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 have to be very balanced and a bit more kinder to ourselves when we approach situations. And one of the situations that I talk about in the book, um, and sorry if you're already going to be asking me this, but you know, I was a teenager, and like many teenagers, I was going through you know a really really tough time, a lot of change in my life. Um, going from high school to college and, you know, body image, you know, boys rejecting you left, right and centre and all these kind of, you know, things that come with being a physically disabled um, teenager. And I was really, really battling with my mental health. Um, I would say I was depressed. I would say I was having suicidal thoughts. I would say, I mean, I saw I, I went to a counsellor at, at college, you know, so it, these were real hard times for me yeah. and then um, we went me my mom and my sister we went to Ikea and normally Ikea you know makes me really really happy and then um, and everybody just kept set staring at me um, now I get looked at quite a lot um having a physical disability looking very different so I'm no stranger to you know having having people stare but because I was in such a docs place I honed in on these stares and glares and I remember leaving and I was just distraught. I was just torn to pieces because I was like, is this ever going to change? Will society change? You know, and also I think, you know, still then deep down inside, I had this innate sense of, you know, sense of self-worth that has always been with me from birth. And I think that's what frustrated me more. I was like, for fuck's sake, like, what do I need to do? to to just be accepted like why yeah. can't you see, why can't you see my beauty and I think that's what upset me more because I was like there's, there's nothing I'm gonna you know do to, to, to change your opinion and that was so frustrating as a 17 year old you know because you do want to be accepted and I broke down in tears in the car park as you do in Ikea normally when they run out of meatballs but that's another story for another day and um and my sister who Stephanie who is non-disabled and at the time, I don't think we had the best relationship. Um, she just sat down next to me and she was like, have you ever thought that they're staring at you because you have got impeccable dress sense? I've always loved fashion. I've always seen that as an extension of my character, my enthusiasm. And God bless my sister, although she's absolutely stunning. She was never quite a fashionista. Put it that way. Let's say it nicely. Um, and she said, you know, I'm really quite jealous of your fashion sense and you know maybe people are glaring at you because they actually think you're beautiful and you you you're, what you're wearing is is um you know stunning etc and I never ever seen the world through that lens and that stuck with me and I carry that wherever I go now of course you're still gonna get some assholes who are gonna stare at you because they're assholes you know and they're ignorant and they don't know how to you know <laughs> they don't know how to you know like connect with other human yeah. beings but you know I, I I I prefer now to see the world differently and I mean, it's really funny I did another podcast I know traitor I uh, did another podcast before my book launch with um and the podcast host has a physical disability and I was telling them this story and she went oh my god yeah she went you're so right I was on a train recently and someone kept staring at me but when when they got off they they patted me on the shoulder and they said I hope you don't mind but I really want to know where you got your shoes from and I think nice. and I think we all deserve and we all owe it to ourselves not to go to that negative bias I know it can be difficult because let's face it the world is not always a nice place 
you know, uh, uh, and and it's a bit like it's a bit like you know when people stare at you and point you and call you horrible names. That 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 the way you feel towards that that's valid because they'd be nasty towards you. And yeah. you know if you've been labelled a certain way all your life, it's hard to negate those labels. So we're not. It's not about dismissing your feelings. It's not about you know ignoring what's happening, but it's also about you know saying that sometimes it's not always what we think. And actually, you know, to safeguard yourself, always choose to be kinder to yourself and see the world in a kinder way. Because now when I go out and about and people stare, I often smile at them. And do you know what? They don't know what to do with themselves. And, you know, I, I was going about my business the other day and this jogger jogged past me and she jogged back and she was like, oh my God, I love your outfit. You just, ne- you just never know. You just never know. And I choose to be kinder to myself than to always go to that dark place and effectively put a downer on the rest of my day or my week yeah that reframing is such a like a, mm. it can be a powerful tool can't it particularly yeah. like, like like exactly like you just said sam in in the right context you know when yeah. we're trying to look after ourselves when we're trying yeah. to exactly. nav- navigate a, t- a tough time yeah it's a really powerful tool. And this isn't about being dismissive because i hate you know i i receive a lot of online trolls and all sorts of stuff and i think i mentioned that but one of the things i hate is when people go just ignore it this is not the message i'm trying to say but you know what? I love me above everybody else in this world. I'm sorry, but I do, you know, and I need to do what's best for me. So if that means going out in the world and having a bit of a rose tinted glasses on, um, uh, then that's what I'm going to do to safeguard myself. Yeah, a hundred percent. And we have to like, with anxiety, particularly, it is that little voice, isn't it? And there is a part of anxiety and where we have to prove that voice wrong. And yeah. sometimes we have to kind of make a, a, a bold decision to say, I'm not going to go there today. today. And reframing can be a really... Not can... today, Satan. Not today. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that. Exactly that. But sometimes those small moments can take what could potentially be a really awful day. Mm-hmm. You can catch it early, right? And you can mm-hmm. turn it into a, mm, today was okay. We kind of got through it. And yeah. it's, it's such a useful tool of, and the the word you used there that was spot on is choose because sometimes mm-hmm. these things it is a it is a choice when you've particularly if you've like done a bit of therapy and done a bit of work on yourself and you kind of have a bit more self-awareness sometimes I can feel myself choosing the wrong path yeah. I can feel my brain turning and it's like this almost a physical thing I picture like a little person in my head with a mm-hmm. like a rope around my brain trying to turn it in mm-hmm. the other direction you know but it, it we it is a choice isn't it it is a choice yeah Absolutely. And I, I call it um, my violin days. So, you know, when things aren't going my way, whether that be, you know, pandemics that come along to mess up everything, or whether that be in my case, I've got a condition called brutal bones, whether that means, you know, I roll over in bed and I, you know, crack, crack an elbow or whatever I do, you know, um, I, I then have a choice on, on, on how I react, but I still always allow myself my violin days I allow myself one or two days I try not to go any further than that because I think that's the danger zone but I I don't suppress my um I don't suppress how I'm feeling you know we could talk about toxic positivity and all these things but I I don't for them couple of days I'm a nasty nasty c-word you know I really am like I really am a horrible person and I hate everyone and I'm like screw you screw the world and then and then I'm like, okay, right, get it together now. 
because you've allowed yourself and I think allowing yourself not bottling up those emotions is the best thing you can do it's really really helped me and I think I think it took me a long time to, to get to that point because you know as a disabled person who was born with a disability we're often infantilized we're often seen as angelic angelic creatures that do nothing wrong and we all you know we never swear and we never fuck and we never you know what I mean sorry am I allowed to swear on this yes of course yeah you know we're, we're never we're, we're, we're these like weird creatures that aren't humans and we're you know Paralympians and we're inspirational and we don't have a bad day and I think it really used to shock people when I used to be in hospital because I used to be screaming swearing being a being really quite high maintenance I was like no I'm in pain no, I'm in pain. And actually, I've just missed out on my best mate's birthday. And I've just missed out on this. And I, and my life right now sucks. I don't want to be an inspiration to you. I don't want to be brave. I don't want to be, you know, what society expects from me. But now I want to feel what I'm feeling. I'm going to grieve the fact that, you know, I've lost out opportunities, even if that's temporarily. I'm going to grieve that, you know, I'm in pain. I'm going to grieve that I've lost function and mobility. I'm going to grieve that I've lost some of my independence. And how dare anybody say that I can't grieve it? But I think, again, the, the, the turning point is, you know, having that moment and then go, no, right, you need to remind yourself who you are and get back on track. And I think that's how the book, um, the book title came about. Um, so obviously, um, before the pandemic, my career was going incredibly well, 10 years of perseverance, 10 years of, you know, just really bloody hard work. I think a lot of people forget that hard work is still hard work. And I was probably, I, I think I would say I was at a turning point in a positive way. And, you know, I had people like Fern Cotton, who is a very well-known presenter. She reached out to me. She wanted me to work at Happy Place Festival. I had Boy George, the singer, contacting me, wanting me to go into the studio with him to um, work on his new album. He had a, a song called Best Thing Since Life Bread. And he wanted me to, like, feature in the music video and so forth. And I was like, oh, my days, this is all incredible. And then, obviously, the pandemic. And although those opportunities didn't disappear, they absolutely didn't turn out how I envisioned in my head. Like, in my mind, I was like, Fern and Boy George are going to be my new best friends. I'm going like, to be able to lick their faces. And, like, you know, we're going to go out all the time and I'm going to be in their company. It's going to be great. And um, it, it didn't work that way. You know, I had to do Happy Place virtually. Um, and actually Fern wasn't even interviewing me and I was absolutely mortified I, I had my violin day and then boy George was like oh I still want to work with you Sam but why don't you you know just record the, the song on your phone and I was like oh really on my phone and I was in lockdown I, I went back home so I live in London but I went back home to Lancashire and um, uh, I was in lockdown there because I was a highly, um, I'm not going to say the word vulnerable, highly susceptible person to COVID. Um, and so I wasn't even in my own home. I didn't have all my, my clothes. I didn't have all my makeup, you know. But I was like, no, after my two like violin days, I was like, no, if, if, if I'm going to have to do it on my phone, I'm bloody going to do it on my phone. I'm going to bring it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to direct it. I'm going to have all these characters. I'm going to have all these alter egos. And I did. I did. I actually got my PA, <laughs> my PA who was still in London. I got her to ship a load of my like clothes back right, up yeah. north, and um, all my all my faux fur coats and all my dramatic clothing 
and I just created all these alter egos and I like directed it all myself and it was great for my mental health but I had a, you know I had this purpose again during lockdown because a lot of my opportunities just were, went stagnant and um I sent it to boy George and he was like oh my god when it's so good I need to up my game and and I and I guess I guess the message of that is and why it 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 lent so beautifully to the book is the message of my book is look we you know life is a roller coaster life doesn't always work out how we want it to work out you know growing up with a disability growing up with brick of bones has taught me that over and over again you know I lost my father when I was nine years old you know like so I understand how things can change so dramatically but how do you keep yourself happy healthy um in those moments and and what you do is exactly that you know you have you, you don't suppress your feelings you allow yourself to express and don't let anyone diminish or uh, uh, discredit how you're feeling and then you go you go you dig deeper down inside and you go no I'm bloody good and I can do this and I will you know I will mold myself to my new ways of 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 living I did that when I had a fracture once and um, I was on bed rest and again went to a dark place went you know did my violin days and I was like right okay I will I'm, I'm good at writing I'm gonna send one of my articles off to a magazine and I did and I've been writing for them for seven years so you know when we talk about disability we often talk about the social model of disability so basically you know I it's my environment or the systemic you know, attitudes and ableism that makes me disabled, you know, so I have my condition, of course, and, and that won't go away anywhere, but it's actually people uh, and society that make me disabled, it's a, it's a social construct, and some disabled people um, adhere to that, and truly believe in that, and that's what they're, you know, that, 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 uh, the way they think that their, you know, their life is, and I'm very much one of those people, and some disabled people go, well, actually, my body does fail me. And actually, you know, things can suck. And I guess, um, I, th I believe it's called the affirmation model. It's like, yeah, it's about recognizing that, yeah, when you when I've got a broken bone, that does put a stop in my life and my independence. But it still doesn't mean that I can't create opportunities. It still doesn't mean I can't be happy. It still doesn't mean that, you know, my life doesn't stop. I guess it's, you know, even when we look at the word wheelchair user instead of wheelchair bound, you know, the whole argument for that is I'm not bound by my wheelchair. If you put me on the floor, okay, um, things would be more challenging, but I, I still exist. I'm still Samantha. And, and I guess this is what we need to constantly remind ourselves, even when we're going through a mental health crisis, even when we're having times where we feel despair or don't believe in ourselves. I, I truly believe that we can still always, you know, find positives. And that doesn't have to be grand, you know, big things. It can be small, small tasks that you, you know, you you are proud of yourself. And my again, my, my sister takes a lot of credit in this book. You know, she said when I was battling again with um, a, a really low point in my life and because uh, my career wasn't going where I wanted it to go or where I had envisioned. And she said, you know, if you do something every day that gets you closer to your goal, no matter how big or small, whether that means set up a Twitter account, learn how to do Twitter, you know, Google, <laughs> Google, Google a new word that you're going to have to use, you know, like whatever that is, you will get to where you want to be or need to be. And she's absolutely right. So, you know, be kinder to yourself. Don't compare to other people because you're 
your experience is very very different uh, and and you know uh, and don't let anyone including yourself suppress how you feel you know how you how you are how you're feeling in that moment is completely valid yeah 100 percent. and I, I just love that idea of the the violin day i think that's so important because if you if you don't process mm. the feelings and the emotions that come with that the disappointment or the sadness or whatever we're going through if you try and carry that that's going to get heavy quick right yeah. And the chances are, if if you hadn't have let that out, if you hadn't have just processed all that emotion, then when you did do the video with Boy George, it wouldn't have been as good. Yeah. It wouldn't have been as good because you had to get all the stuff out the out. way to kind of say, right, I'm done with that now. And I don't have to, I'm not wasting my energy mm-hmm. carrying that round because I've took a couple of days to scream and shout and process it. And Absolutely. Um, Society doesn't like us to do that, right? Society yeah. likes us all that sort of keep calm and carry on and all that stuff. But um, emotions are there to be felt, the good ones and the bad ones. And life is life and we're going to get bad ones. And we need to find our ways to have a, a violin day, don't we? And just um, absolutely yeah, get absolutely. All, that, all that stuff out. Yeah. And you kind of almost touched on it there a little bit. And it was something I really wanted to ask you about. It's, it's from from your book and I've been thinking about this a lot and it's this idea of labels and you you talked about that early on in the book and I think society loves a label it loves a box it loves to tell us what we are and what we can and can't and will and won't and all that stuff and and how that affects people's mental health is massive you know and in the book you talk about having a label you were given a label from very early on Sam right and people trying to tell you what what to be and who you are and um that's that really impacts our mental health doesn't it so I again I was born with a condition my parents were unaware that I'd be born with this condition my sister is non-disabled and I you know I'm 36 now so I'm an eight I'm an 80s girl and I, I guess you know technology wasn't as sophisticated you know I, my condition wasn't picked up on any of the scan so you know I come along and I I my mother has a natural birth so as not you know a con- I say natural in a loose term um a vaginal vaginal birth shall I say um and obviously by doing a vaginal birth um that I, I broke multiple bones coming out of my mum and it was like oh my god you know this baby is in pieces basically and I spoke to my mum um about it because I had to get her, her her story and she said you know your birth was more like a bereavement she went, none of my none of my friends or relatives really came to visit in the hospital because they didn't know what to say, they didn't know what to do. And, you know, even the doctors were, if you can hear something in the background, my cat's clucking at something. I'm a bit concerned what he's clucking. I don't I don't even <laughs> want to turn around. Um and, best you know, not. leave it. To <laughs> I know, you know, and um the doctors were like, you know, there's something wrong with your baby. And anyone who's listening in who, you know, perhaps has been lived their whole life with a disability this is probably you know is a narrative that you can totally get and, and relate to but you know we and we hear it now a lot of my my friends or people I, I connect with on social media you know parents of children with down syndrome and so forth they still get this I'm so sorry your baby's born with down syndrome I, do you know what it just really angers me and I'm like shut up first of all who who gives you the right to label anybody you're not god right I know some doctors might think they're God but you're not God you don't have a right to you know give me a label because we all know that if you if you label someone often enough then that often turns into a 
self-fulfilling prophecy you become that label this is not exclusive to disabled people you know like a lot of studies shown that if you like um young african-american guys lads you know if they're labeled a certain way as a bad egg in school they will then turn into what you know that so there's a lot of studies on self-fulfilling prophecies and i just think i just think you know i what upsets me most my father passed away when i was nine and he carried such a heavy he was my biggest champion in many ways but he also carried the biggest heavy heart and the burden on his shoulders because because of the this label that everyone had said I was he feared the life I would live he was told I wouldn't succeed I'd constantly be paid my being pain my quality of life would suck I wouldn't do all the normal things you know everyone else would do and that must be terrifying for any parent you know, they were in their early 20s. Like, that is shocking. And the, the, I mean, I don't have regrets in life, but the one biggest regret is my dad died at 38, which is like nothing, you know. And and again, I'm not a religious person, but I hope, I, got, I really hope that he does get to see what I've achieved, like, now. Because that angers me more, because my dad died thinking that I would have a poor quality of life. And that is... That has weighed heavy on me more than most things in my life, you know? So I yeah. bloody hope there is an afterlife. <laughs> because I want, I want him to know that I'm doing incredible. I have, yeah. surpassed, I have surpassed everything that anybody expected and more. Yeah, and like you say, it's, it's the, the frustrating thing is when someone's, someone's told you or told your dad, like, this is the way to feel about this situation. Yeah. You know, people have decided like, uh, that, like apology thing. It's like, what are you being sorry for? Mm-hmm. Like, the, what, why is this, a, this is not an, a, an a apology moment, right? It's no, someone else making the decision. Yeah. And society does that to us. And it, and it, it, I think it's when people decide what you're going to be or who you, who you're going to be without mm-hmm. seeing the you. And I think that's something that's really damaging, isn't it? Is when, as humans, when we're not, when we're not seen really, when we're yeah. not, you know, when people make these assumptions about, about how life's going to play out for us. Absolutely. And, and I guess, you know, I talk about my own lived experience in, in the book, but you know, my book is relatable because we've all had a parent who expects something of us or a sibling who is more academic or more sporty than us or, you know, a teacher that underestimates us or a boss that doesn't doesn't see our, you know, potential. And like yesterday, there's a TV show and I was like, you know, when we apply for a job or when we're looking at like big companies, when they bring out like a new trainer or a new product, like we always talk about our unique selling point, you know, like if you go for a job interview, it's like, right, tell me why you're better than them. Tell yeah. me. And, and being unique is like a positive. But then outside of those situations, being unique is like, oh, oh, they're different. Oh, oh, look at that, different. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> this, is why, this is why I'm like, celebrate your uniqueness. Because people, you know, that's, that's how like capitalism bloody started. Like, do you know what I mean? I know exactly what <laughs> I've never thought of it like that at all. Yeah, they, people, you want want to be different in in one place and then tell you to be the same in yeah. in the others. Yeah, that's um. I mean, right, I could get yeah. the car marks on you right now and talk about you know all that stuff, but I better not. It's a bit heavy. <laughs> but, but but I think but I think that's you know I, I talk a lot about body image and and some of the things that I've felt self conscious and I 
I was always a very confident child. I genuinely had a very happy-go-lucky childhood in the sense of I love making people smile. I was always, I, I always remember being quite funny, even at a very, very young age. And I always loved challenging. I like, I don't get me wrong. I always knew I was different in the sense of I always was very, very, very aware that I had a disability. I looked different and I, you know, I had to be in a pram much more longer than my other friends and I couldn't walk. So that I wasn't in any denial about that or anything like that. But I, I always quite, I love that. I love being unique because I actually quite like going into a room and people finding me charming and people being drawn to me. Obviously, as a child, I wasn't aware that some of that attention was based in ignorance and, you know, pity. But I, regardless, I love being the centre of attention. And it, it slowly over the years got eroded away. And, you know, writing this book was very cathartic in many ways, but it actually highlighted you know, the things that I feel most self-conscious about and the things that I'm still working on, um, like, body, you know, my body and so forth have been the things that people have pointed out to me and made me feel uncomfortable about. I So I've got a number of scars all over my body and they're big scars. I've had lots of operations and I've never once covered them up, never once, you know, not worn shorts or a short skirt. And I've never, ever, ever, I actually quite like them. I genuinely, I'm like, yeah, they're there. And, and I thought, why do I... Why do I like them and I have no issue at all about them, but I do about other things on my body? And it's because no one has ever said, look at them scars. Right, yeah. Yeah. So it's just it's just that power, doesn't it, that other people yeah. have is um it's quite scary, really. And I suppose that just underlines the the importance of having like open, relatable conversations and I say this about like mental health you know I speak to so many different types of people for this podcast and like I don't know what it's like to have OCD I don't know what it's like to have a physical disability I don't know what it's like to be a woman you know I don't know these things but when we get behind all that stuff and we talk about the human elements yeah. behind the challenges of all these different communities well that I do understand you know, because yeah. I know what it's like to feel sad and I know what it's like to feel alienated and I know what it's like to feel happy. Yeah. And it, it's like by having these conversations, we get past this thing that we're supposed to be and we get down into the humanness of it and then we can really connect. Right. And then we can have compassion for each other and then we can really kind of then things start to it starts to change how you feel about yourself, how you feel about other people. But it, yeah. it does start with yourself, doesn't it? It does. It does. And, and it's, so, it's so interesting, isn't it? It's um. Again, these are all things that I touch upon, you know, in in the in the book. And I say, I, you know, being that going looking back at that cheeky confidence mantra, one of the one of the things that I definitely was growing up was um a talker, gift of the gob. I probably I really annoyed adults. Like adults would be like, right, I think you've said enough for one day, haven't you? But I was one of them kids, I was like, why can't I talk about it? Why why can't I be open about it? And I would often hush. You know, but I think one of the nice things is, you know, that's where that, especially, you know, like suffering silence, because we don't share. And, you know, I talk about some really, really open, some serious things in the book and some like quite funny things and personal things. I talk about nipple hair, I talk about masturbation, I talk about, you know, all sorts of other things. And someone says, are you sure? You know, like, I remember going back and forth, like with editors and people like that. It's like, are you sure you want to put that in? Are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, like, why, why wouldn't I? Like, because I swear to God, if I'm thinking about it, someone else is. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not this like random 
one person that only experiences these things because I can guarantee like other women have got nipple hair like me do you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> that they have to sit in the shower every Friday and pluck out do you know what I mean so why are we why are we talking about it and, yeah. and yeah. so for me like I remember I don't know whether I put it in the book but I definitely spoke about it recently I didn't think I would have my period um and I, I was like the, one of the late uh, kids in my class like I was 14 which is relatively I mean it's not the oldest oldest but it's relatively late on and um because I'm because I had a disability I convinced myself because no one had talked to me about puberty or anything like that I guess because people were a bit unsure themselves you know they still are now like you know um yeah I want to become a mother and no one will have that conversation with me because there's a lot of there's a lot of taboo around sex and disability and motherhood and so forth but I genuinely, you know, I, I look back at that situation. I'm like, oh, I kind of just wish someone would have said the fact that you've got brittle bones. There's no, no issue on whether you're going to have your period or not. But for a long time, I literally was 14, sat at school instead of concentrating on my schoolwork, sat there thinking that, oh my god, I'm never going to have a period. I'm never going to be a mother. I'm never going to be, you know. I know obviously motherhood looks very different now, but you know, back then at 14. I, I associated having a period with motherhood and, and and these were the things that I was battling at school. Not, yeah. you know, not algebra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, battling the um yeah, the bigger things from a from a young age. But if someone goes first, you know, yeah. if someone goes first and talks about these things, that like what's that saying? Um it's like shame dies in the light, right? Yeah. So if someone goes first, then all the other people go, hang on. Sam said it on that podcast. Now yeah. I can talk about my nipple hair. Yeah. You know, it, it's like it gives people an unofficial permission. That they, they didn't know they needed that permission, but no. it gives them that permission, right? To just say, right, this is me. And, and, that's I, and I hope, a powerful thing. I hope I am that person because I think, again, we've already alluded to the fact that I'm not necessarily religious, but I definitely think my God-given or whatever um, gift is a communicator and that cheeky, overconfident, you know, little Samantha, um, child Samantha had that gift and, and was able to go into a room and make people feel at ease and make people, you know, feel like they could express themselves. And, and I, I've always, you know, I'm not good at maths. I'm not good at music. You know, I don't have any raw, raw talent, but my raw talent is being able to be completely authentic and, and open and honest. So I genuinely hope that whoever reads my book or listens to me or whatever, you know, even reads some of the things I've done in the past, or sees me on telly I hope that that's what I give to the world I hope that that's what my legacy is but I'm also at a point in my life where I'm finding that that's quite draining right now and I need to after this book launch and you know I'm riding that wave at the moment but I definitely need to take some me time and reevaluate because actually being in the public eye and being the, I, I call it, you just said the first, that, I don't know what did you use, the first person, but I call it guinea pig. I feel like a guinea pig. Um, I was that first person to do X, Y, and Z. Of course, there's loads, loads of other amazing influences online, but I definitely think that I've, I've been doing this quite quite some time and talking about quite, you know, I don't even want to say taboo subject, but it definitely caught up with me now. Like sometimes I'm like, why, why can't someone else do it? Yeah. You know, um, and that can be quite draining. And I think when you, you know, when you are so open and honest, it can sometimes hit you, you know, kick you in the bottom. It can sometimes turn into sensationalist, you know, fodder. Um, so it, it is a balancing act, 
do I regret being the person I am and being that voice? No. But I think also I do need to protect my own mental well-being because I do believe that people would take people would take and um, take and take and take and and I and that's something I'm learning much more now so I need to set up some more boundaries I think and go okay even though I've written this book and I talk about sexual assault I talk about being scared of sex I talk about mental health I talk about you know body image doesn't mean that you know I I have to talk about that all the time and I have yeah. and, I, I, and I am only here in a capacity um to be to be that voice for others yeah, definitely. I think to talk about these deeper things, you have to very much be in the right space, don't you? So it's, as well, I think particularly in the in the media is it, it, people will expect you to talk about certain things at the drop of a hat, you know, yeah. so you'll just get a phone call saying, oh, can you come and talk about this? And I, say, oh, I don't really fancy it today. <laughs> you know, like it's it, we can't just fall in and out of that stuff. But no, it's kind um, of is, is do you have like half an eye on 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 burnout, basically, because you hold a lot of space for people, Sam. Mm-hmm. And like you say, you do you do a lot. Um, yeah, you've got to protect yourself. eh? I, I'm not the greatest at it because I I guess like I, I'm driven. So I'm a, I'm a driven person. Let's not even talk about anything else. I, I'm a very driven person. I'm a very competitive person. And so that is very, when you've got those attributes, when you're that way inclined, it's very, very difficult to say no or to have downtime. So you've got that side of Samantha. You've got that kind of, yeah, 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 go, go, go. Like, you know, I, I'm very bad at um, celebrating myself. The one reason why I had a book launch and like paid for a big party for everyone is because I look back on all my achievements and I was like, you know what I kept doing? I'd done it and then I was moving on, done it, moving on, done it, move it on. And like, you know, you, like my book went to number one in the disability category online and someone messaged me going, you're number one selling author. And I went, oh yeah. And I'm like, Santa, why are you you're not allowing yourself to be like, fuck yeah, that's amazing. But I don't. And um, so I'm, I'm I'm building on that, like just to 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 not look for the next best thing, which is again difficult when you're when you're competitive and difficult when you're a go-getter. Um but also um I think in this industry, you know, there's a lot of discrimination, there's less opportunities for women, disabled women. And and also, you know, my health is deteriorated as I'm getting older. Um, and I and I'm scared that in the future I won't be able to support myself. So I'm constantly battling that I should be resting. I should be able to say, no, I'm not gonna do that, or no, I'm gonna take two weeks off. But at the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh my God, I, you know, social care is not free. Um, wheelchairs aren't free um equipment isn't free you know so I'm constantly beating myself up because the system fails disabled people um and I'm, I'm worried that I will I will get to a point in my life where you know it because I've not said yes to opportunities I'm not in a safe space when I'm older and that's horrible but I think you know we can all relate to that because we We've got an aging population. Everybody's living a little bit longer. All that means is, you know, we're living longer, but that what that means potentially we might become disabled or we might, you know, have a condition that means that our mobility is, is impaired, whether that's short-term because we've had a hip replacement or long-term, you know, because you acquire something like Alzheimer's or so forth, you know. So I think it's a real concern for everybody and, that, and it's amplified when you have a disability because unfortunately you recognise how disabling the world is. So where am I with that? I'm looking to move out of London. 
I'm looking to move back to Lancashire so I can be closer to family and friends. I've been in London nearly 11 years, so I feel like I've done the whole London experience. But London is a very isolating place. It's a very lonely place. And I actually think that my mental health has really, really taken a decline, ironically, because on Instagram, everyone must think I'm living the best life ever. And there are absolutely elements of that. But equally, I feel like I feel like my what it is I feel angrier and I feel like a cloud is over me all the time in London when I leave London that cloud definitely disappears and and I want that long term I want to wake up you know having less cloudy days um and and you know I'm not going to be stereotypical but northerners tend to be a bit more (laughs) happy-go-lucky um uh well you know London is just a very very self-centered environment and it's a lot of a lot of full of narcissistic people a lot of ruthless people and I'm a true believer that that energy lingers and I definitely have changed as a person I'm not always the person that I particularly like um being in London so I'm definitely going to be moving out and, and taking over the family home which is a bungalow which is adapted and and and, and hopefully really renovating it so that'll be my forever home um yeah. uh, and I think what was and I don't want to make light of the pandemic because I appreciate a lot of people suffered, a lot of people saw loss. So that's not my intention. But for me, I recognize that my life didn't stop because of the pandemic in the sense of I still existed. London didn't go anywhere. <laughs> you know, uh, and actually, I built on my consultancy when I was away, and I actually found a different source of income rather than broadcast um and that was liberating for me because I felt terrified that if I were to leave London my whole career life would just come crashing down and the 10-11 years that I'd invested in would just be you know void and that didn't happen and that was like liberating I'm like wow so I can now prioritize my mental health and I can also continue doing what I'm doing yeah you have the best of both worlds right absolutely yeah you look at all the things that like societally aren't good for our mental health things like you know community and nature and connection and all this sort of stuff and london kind of gets rid of all that doesn't it or like a lot of the big cities and um i've been to london a couple of times this month actually back and forth with different things and i was i'm a country boy me i'm uh, green spaces (laughs) is where i need to be i i can't handle the city and it's always if we go for a weekend the first day i'm like oh my god it's so excited i'm in london this is amazing and by day two i'm like i just need to like not have anyone within five feet of me and i need to see a immediately yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot right it's hard, it is, it's hard it is lot. and that's why I got my I've got two sphinx cats so they're indoor cats and they were they I mean so I got Lola my little girl she got me out of a mental health crisis um and and also you know I got her as well because I was thinking about motherhood and I was you know all the all the people that have doubted me about motherhood and saying I kind of again wanted to see whether to myself whether I could actually look after another I know a cat's not a baby but you know you got where I was going with that you know have that responsibility and and, and be self selfless um and Lola honestly she's my soulmate I absolutely adore her and then I got little Bruno for a companion for Lola because she gets she gets she gets anxiety when I leave her so it's a bit it's a, just a whole house of anxious people um <laughs> But then, but you know, they've been again. They weirdly, I kind of want to move for them as well. I know a lot of your listeners will be like, "I can't believe you're leaving the flat in London for your cats." 
not predominantly for my cats, but they definitely crossed my mind. And, and I was like, I, you know, I want to reconnect with nature. My dad was actually a jockey. My dad um, was very much, uh, he left school when he was 14. He was dyslexic and he struggled with academia and he left um, and he went, to, he went and moved in with his auntie and uncle down south in Dorset and he grew up with animals. He used to be the sort of person that would like pick up animals from the side of the road and nurse them back to health. So oh, I def- and I think I think I'm um I think I'm an animal empath. I absolutely connect with animals on a on a, a scarily deep level. People do think that I am a bit odd, like they do think I'm a bit excessive. And I'm like, no, no, like Lola's depressed today. Like you know, like I can tell her mood, like we need to do something. But I want to give back. I've already reached out to a number of animal charities that I am helping and through my platform um, and, and status, I, I want to do that. And I and it's quite nice because I feel like I've found my vocation. You know, like I, I love doing my disability stuff and that will always be a big part of my life. But I feel such a strong connection with being able to help animals and what animals can give to us and our mental health that I feel like that is something I, over the next years, is something that I'm definitely going to invest in. Yeah, I suppose with like with campaigning with activism, although it's um it is wonderful to like have this effect, but I would imagine that at times it feels like quite a thankless task. Whereas if you show an animal love, you're gonna get that back. Yeah. You're gonna get it back in spades, right? So it's like a it's a like you say, it's like a different a different sense of fi- sense of yeah. feedback. But Lola um, said yes. She said <laughs> yes. There you go. Yes. Um, and it's true, and it's it's the way because obviously we shouldn't be doing good deeds to get anything in return. But you know, every now and again, I wouldn't mind a bit of validate. You know, like we are humans, yeah. and we, we want to have praise. We, you know, we want to feel like what we're doing is 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 respected. And sometimes, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes I will do things, and I, and I struggle with fatigue, and you know, and then you'll get some very rude people that won't even ask how you are that it's like you you need to do this for me or you need to do that for you and I'm not going to lie like some of my biggest critics are all the disabled people like they and that can be quite heartbreaking because it's like hang on a minute I'm trying to be you know do the right thing for our community um and you're the ones that are attacking me the most and that can be a big like mind set you know um yeah. uh, I'm, I'm like like you said I guess animals don't have that and maybe some people find the other way a bit more challenging and maybe see you know working with animals like an easy way out but I don't see that at all I I you know I I I love what animals have taught me about myself like so Bruno my the little the other pet he's hard work he's hard work um I didn't expect him to be so hard work and he's he's very intelligent he needs constant stimulation and that challenged me. And the other day, I like every day I cried because of him. And I was like, but I, you know, you're a cat and I got you to help my mental health. And actually you're making it worse. And I even thought about rehoming him and all, and all these things went through my mind. And, and then again, I had my violin days and I was like, no, like, you know, Samantha, I've, I've, I've told people I'm struggling. I've, I've put that out to the universe. I've said I'm not suffering in silence. And as soon as I put it out there, I clicked snapped out of my my violin and session and I was like no no we, we've got this you know we've got this obviously his behavior is to do with you know his uh, like his own anxiety or his own discomfort or his own you know unhappiness and we need to work together and now he's much much calmer. he still has his moments 
but you know they what he taught me is to not not give up at the first hurdle so to speak and I don't yeah. think I don't think and it's so easy because an animal you know you, it's not a baby is it? you can't drop a baby off whatever you want well I mean so you could you know what I mean like an animal yeah. is, is much more disposable and we see it all the time people just get rid of them and 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 again not judging anyone but I'm just saying that it could have been so easy for me to go there you go but I actually sat back and went right let's look at this practically and let's let's try and change our routines and change you know what's happening and we're in a much better all of us are in a much better place now yeah it's lovely it's like you're all working together right and Ooh. a word you mentioned before talking about the cats was was um selfless Ooh. and I think that's what animals um can help us with when it comes to our mental health when you've got that whether it's the anxious voice or the depressed voice or it we like sometimes mental health makes people I know from my own like lived experience being depressed may be really selfish yeah. really selfish and uh, you know I look back now and I think like crikey I was making it all about me and I was ill right it wasn't my fault but I was making it all about me but sometimes having the you know when you have like like a, a cat or a pet or something in your life that you have to kind of I suppose if you're looking after a, if your cats and you're showing them love well you can't be all the negative things that your brain is telling you you are right because mm -hmm. you're doing mm -hmm. something caring for for something else so you're again it's because I suppose we touched on it before but almost proving that voice wrong I suppose yeah absolutely and I think again <laughs> right I wrote it in my book but you know when I talk about relationships and I talk about rejection and I talk about not feeling good enough for the opposite sex and so forth and um, you know, and then I explore the concept of, you know, unconventional, you know, relationships and how, you know, I've always been very unconventional. So why am I giving myself such a hard time about having a conventional relationship? And when, when I was in lockdown, I obviously took the cats. They travel all over with me. They're very good trains, actually. Um, and I was sat on the bed with my mom. We were watching, I think we were watching Dexter. And um, and my mom said, oh, look, look, look at how she's looking at you. And I looked down and like Lola just sat there, just staring at me with his big black eyes. And like, and all you could see was look like, I love you. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I love you. And in and in that moment, I did have this karma with me. I was like, do you know what? If that's my lot, which it isn't because I'm, you know, I I I I I'm I'm full of love to give and I know I'll get it back. But but say if it is, if that's my lot, then I'm happy. Sat next to my mum. Who loves me unconditionally and having my cat Lola, who's my soulmate, literally looking at me without without me saying anything to her, without me like, you know, doing anything, just looking up at me in my arms, being like, I love you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm happy. Yeah, man. I suppose regardless of like what comes before and what comes after, just to take that moment and yeah. say, God, isn't this bloody lovely? And that's yeah. um that's an important thing to do as well, isn't it? Yeah. 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 You mentioned earlier somehow, um, uh, how driven you are and like we've also talked about anxiety and that's like being really really driven and also being anxious that's something that comes up a lot I find and it's something that I see in myself yeah and sometimes with anxiety it means that we can't do things that most people find easy but we yeah. can do things that most people find hard and I was wondering just when you mentioned that word driven I was like I wonder if Sam's experienced that as as well does that kind of ring any bells like not many people could write a book and go on telly and talk on live telly you know what it, it's weird because I, 
I don't, I can't understand myself either. <laughs> I don't, like, I confuse myself on a daily basis because the anxiety, the worry, the self-doubt that I experience, I sometimes, and I don't mean to sound dramatic, I sometimes think I'm going to give myself a heart attack. Like, it is that intense. Yeah, as you just said, I'm doing X, Y, and Z. And, and recently, because I knew I had a lot coming up, recently, I, I don't know. I don't know whether I've just given myself permission to relax but I, I I went for a few years again on Instagram it might look like my life was just wonderful doing all these opportunities I was not enjoying anything 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 amazing I just wasn't enjoying it I was like okay done just put just, not like dreading it like night sweats fear you know, the anxiety, not living in the moment, going away, panic, like, you know, just really, really just not enjoying it, doing it because I'm like, well, I'm here now. I'm here now. I've got myself here. Like, I'm committed now. I better, I better do it because the fear, the fear of letting go of all these opportunities um, was, was like, no, but I'm Samantha and I, I need to take these opportunities. But I wasn't enjoying any of it. And, and I guess writing this book, knowing that I have you know, this could be a potentially turning point in my career for the good. This could, you know, and, and even just doing this press, um, what would you call it, like junket, I suppose, for the past two weeks has meant I've got, I've had to do TV and radio and, you know, podcasts like day in, day out. And I've weirdly been quite calm about everything. And I've actually enjoyed pretty much everything, not, not the morning, early morning start, but I've genuinely just enjoyed and I felt a wave of like, um, ease come over me and I think it's because I think perhaps because I know that I have I have already in my head prioritized my mental well-being and I know that I'm already going to be moving back to Lancashire in the next maybe year or so and I think I know that I've now done something for me first that is not this driven Samantha work orientated I think perhaps that is 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 making things easier for me because I'm like, no, I, I, I'm not just working for you. I'm not just doing this. I'm, you know, I'm not just feeding the um, the successful Samantha, that, that, that side of me, that feisty Samantha. And also, you know, what I write about in the book is I came to the conclusion that my, my drive came from a misplace in the sense of my drive, a lot of it came from wanting to prove the world wrong, wanting to stick my fingers up to everyone who said I couldn't. And I think that can, it obviously served its purpose but that can be beneficial and it has been beneficial but now I don't have that drive anymore I have a different drive I have a pleasing me drive I have a doing what makes me happy drive and I think that has allowed me to feel more comfortable in what I'm doing and it allowed me to enjoy don't get me wrong I still get nervous and still like worrying what I swear on live tv and things like that and I still, you know, I'm terrified of like auto queue and think, oh my God, if I ever get a job with auto queue, I don't know how I would cope. Um, so I still have that anxiety, but it's definitely depleted. And I think it, perhaps it's because I'm, I am being more selfish and I am letting go of wanting to prove the world something. And I think that comes with age, irrespective of disability. I think we all, as you get a bit older, you know, like me, I, I now go out with no makeup on. I would never have done that like even three years ago. 
you know so I think as as humans we evolve and we we kind of you know understand what what we feel comfortable with but equally I think not talking about the anxiety well talking about the anxiety but a lot of my anxiety came from not being given enough opportunities you know I used to be a language teacher and you know we always used to say if you don't use your language you lose it and I guess my whole career has been so sporadic like I've never had a a regular tv gig I've never had a regular radio gig I've never had a regular you know what I mean yeah. so my confidence yeah. my confidence has never been allowed to yes baby girl my confidence has never been allowed to get to a point where I, I can let go of the anxiety because, you know, I get dragged. And, and some of that might be to do with tokenism. Let's drag the disabled person out. That definitely was at the beginning of my career. You know, let's drag her out one, now and again and then put her back in a box. And that doesn't, that doesn't help your anxiety. That does nothing for your self-esteem. You know, like when would I be given an opportunity to learn autocue? When will I be given the confidence to know how a, a, a you know a, a recording studio works? When will I have been given you know to know the ropes? And unfortunately, disabled people are still not given ample opportunities um, because of this discrimination. And I think that really fed into my anxiety and my and my imposter syndrome and my self doubt. Because you know, if you have one appearance on TV once a month, I'm sorry, but that's for me, that's not sufficient enough, you know, never mind about whether it's, you know, to do with my career and, you know, financially viable, but just to, to, you know, even internships have more consistency than that, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. And I suppose it must like, you know, there must always be that little voice in the back of your head that says, am I being asked to do this because I'm yeah. really fucking good at what I do? Or am I yeah. just the first disabled person in the speed dial and they need someone yeah. to talk about it? Right? Yeah. And I definitely was that person for a very long time. I, I think now I have paid my dues and I think now I am credible enough when I am, you know, um, I have proven that I am more than just um, my disability identity. I know what I'm talking about. I, you know, I, I, I work good with other people. I am professional. I am, you know, kind of diligent, you know, all the, all the things that are, you know, good tick boxes. So I, I don't, I don't go to that place anymore of I'm the token. I'm sure there's some things that I do get that are literally like, God, oh, can't think of anyone. She'll do. Um, but I, but yeah, I definitely at the beginning of my career. Um, and, and I guess, that's the hardest thing for me, particularly when I talk with young disabled people or people who want to go into the same industry as me. You know, tokenism is a hard one. Um, uh, and, and unfortunately, you know, like to sustain that, you've got to work hard. You know, it's not enough just say, well, you need to give me this opportunity because I'm, 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 you know, disabled or gay or trans or black or Asian or, you know, a man. Like it's that's not that's not enough, even though you know because we went through that time where the DE and I like just said, uh, diversity and inclusion and quality was like a, obviously on everyone's radar and so uh, importantly so, but I think they, they that created a culture that people expected to get opportunities because of one of their characteristics and one of their identities, and um, unfortunately, you know <laughs> that doesn't that that only leads to tokenism and that doesn't lead to longevity 
and yeah. you know you need to have that unique selling point <laughs> you see because you need to stand out you know and need to believe in yourself yeah yeah it's um it's a minefield isn't it sam it's um yeah, it's a little really, bit. really 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 complicated yeah but it sounds like over the years you found your own way to to navigate that that minefield in the way that best best serves you right because that's ultimately yeah. what you've what you need to do yeah absolutely definitely. absolutely and oh, it's, you know, i talk about like, a lot of my life now i don't have any like blocks anymore i definitely have worked it out but my block is like relationships so if you read the book you'll see what i say and it's really weird because when i wrote the chapter on you know i think it's called i i think it's called the chapter called am i enough uh talks about my relationships talks about the traumas i've had with that and and you know how men have um you know really abused me and, and made me feel worthless and and I, I think i say right at the beginning of the chapter you know like i don't want this to sound like a contradiction you know i don't want you to think that you've read this book about me go being positive positive and then all of a sudden i'm like however when it comes to men i feel like a pile of shit every time they look at me like you know what i mean yeah. but, uh, but i am a human being and sometimes trauma and experiences take a lot more unpacking than other experiences yeah yeah very much so and it's not always that's never straightforward and we're not really taught the rules of how to do that and at mm -hmm. different times in our life it becomes a little it comes a little easier and um mm -hmm. it's complicated isn't it but yeah. um again it's why it's important for people to talk about it because you know if you're experiencing it someone else will be out Absolutely. there and, you know and yeah, don't straight don't straight it sounds like you've got lots of things coming up i think it's um the happy place festival is the most that's the thing that's next coming up yeah right? it's, it's odd because everyone always wants to know what's happening um i don't know my life is so weird that literally from week to week it can change like a, like like dramatically so I, I i'm not being i'm not being coy or i'm not being secretive when i'm like i don't know but i genuinely <laughs> don't, don't know but something always seems to pop up which is nice yeah, trust the universe, eh? Yeah, trust, trust the universe. Yeah. Mate. Universes, I would have my back. So yeah, there you go, my love. There, there you go, mate. <laughs> I um, I, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you today, mate. And I've I've been in um, really, really enjoying the book, and um, it's given me a lot of a lot of food for thought. And oh, uh, this whole whole thing between the book and chat to you has just been an absolute pleasure. So thank you so oh, much for your time, Sam. It's been thanks lovely. for having me, my love. Oh, no worries at all. You take care. big up to the proper mental podcast a proper mental podcast <laughs>